Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 214 being recorded on Thursday, April 2nd, 2020. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason Scott Show listeners. Uh, hopefully everyone is surviving their quarantining and shelter in place. And Jason, in times of crisis like this, I find I get really down in the weeds. It's kind of just pull out, plow through every day, grind it out. Um, but sometimes it's helpful to talk to folks that work at a higher level. They're seeing a broader spectrum of not only um, companies, but industries and, and then the macro environment. Um, and the best place to look for that is Wall Street. So to that end, we are excited to have one of the top internet analysts on the show, Scott Devitt. Scott is Managing Director of Internet Equity Research at Stiefel. Welcome to the show, Scott. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, we are thrilled to have you, Scott. Uh, other than the fact that I am now feeling outnumbered two Scots to only one Jason. Yes. The, between the three of us, we have two of us, we have three Ts. Yes. Uh, the S's are also popular. So, Scott, a tradition on the show, we always like to start getting a little background about the guests. So could you tell us a little bit about your background and then what uh, your your area of focus or your role is at Stiefel? Sure. I'm a, a sell-side analyst and, and cover the consumer internet sector, um, mostly U.S.-based companies. Um, and the subsectors include e-commerce, you know, so Amazon. Etsy, Peloton, the Real Real Wayfair, Stitch Fix, but we also cover Alibaba and JD in China. Um, and then other digital names include Netflix and Alphabet. We also cover online travel and the ride-sharing companies as well. That's awesome. And uh, have you always been a self-sized analyst, or how did you how did you come to the field? Uh, sure. I worked in industry for a few years, uh, mostly at Dell um, after graduate school, and then um, for the better part of the past twenty years, I've been I've been in this role. Um, started out as an associate analyst, working for a senior analyst um, back in in two thousand, and then I've kind of worked my way into the into the role shortly thereafter. We cover uh, my team uh, covers about thirty five companies in, in total, uh, uh, U.S. internet. Right, cool. Um, so your your universe for kind of folks on the phone. So on the e-commerce side, you have Amazon, Alibaba, Etsy. Uh, I don't know where you put Peloton. Is that a e-commerce? Uh, you think of it? I guess I think of it as a digital native brand. Real, real Wayfair, Stitch Fix, um, and then you also cover Netflix. You mentioned Alphabet, Google, uh, JD. Is JD on your list? JD, JD, um, Booking, Expedia. Uber left. The travel one. Yeah, the Uber Yeah. Cool. Let, let's start at the big picture and then we'll kind of peel the onion as we go, as it were. So so clearly this pandemic, um, we're as we're recording this, the jobless claims came out, six million new jobless. We're, we're gonna clearly put the economy into a bit of a tailspin here. Um, what's y'all's big picture on on kind of the how this plays out? Is this a V-shaped recovery? Is this an 18 month thing, a six month thing? Give us give us an overview of of, of kind of the, the big picture. Yeah, I can uh, I can give you know my personal view of that um, from just a macro 
overlay standpoint. I mean, I, I think I track the data every day as does everybody else. And um, it's, it's pretty rough out there right now. Um, but, um, you know, but hopefully we, we do kind of get to the other side of, of the virus and, you know, the, the underpinnings of, of the economy um, going into this were quite strong. Um, there's stimulus behind us. So, uh, you know, I think my base case, you know, that, that, that then influences my coverage and, and uh, modeling of internet companies would, would be something between like a V and a U shaped recovery on the on the back of this and you know as it relates to internet specifically you know we expect the advertising business to be down 10 to 15 percent that's roughly in line with what it was down in the 0809 crisis certainly at the bottom you know it could be worse but um but that's a, a good starting point until we start to hear these companies uh, actually talk about current conditions e-commerce interestingly um, right now is running above trend because of the mix shift to staples and groceries. So overall, recently trends have accelerated, um, according to uh, third-party services like Adobe Data uh, today, uh, to 20% plus. But you have uh, certain categories that are down as much as 50% and grocery that's up as much as 100%. So it very much depends on the products that, that one is selling. Within travel and um and, and ride sharing, which is tied to travel, you know, conditions are quite weak, um, down 50% or more, very much tied to the, the airline and, uh, and hotel industry. Um, so that gives you a broad kind of picture of like the base case that's now built into our models. If I had to guess, you know, I, I would guess our numbers, you know, are probably going down further before they go up. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so if we kind of think about how this will play out, people will report Q1, um, you know, the quarter just ended. So we're going to have kind of 45 days of that. And then, you know, they're only going to have kind of a 15 to 20 day view of how things were, right? Well, by the time they report, they may be able to shed some more color. So it just feels like we're going to have a lot, you know, probably three to six months of bad news before we can kind of get to the good news if if, if I think through the, the way that all plays out. It'd probably be in the best interest of of companies to uh, just remove, you know, any any formal guidance for the remainder of their year, um, and you know, potentially give qualitative assessments of current conditions. But beyond that, um, just wait until more information is available. I mean, I think that's probably the the um, the best approach that a, a corporate could take right now. And some companies have begun to do that. Um, uh, Twitter Twitter did it. A few other companies. Did it outside of our my coverage universe, but you know a, a related company, Shopify, did it overnight. So I, I, I assume that any company that does within my coverage give guidance is probably going to pull it back when they report. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's start at the the most heavily hit. So this travel industry. Um, you know, I saw something that said like travelers are down ninety two percent. Jason's mm-hmm. our most frequent traveler, and I have he hasn't traveled in like four weeks, so he must be. Just chomping at the bit there. Yeah, I, I did something last week that I haven't done in about four years. I put my suitcase suitcase away. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds silly, but it, it felt very weird. So, so for that to come back, Scott, what do you think they have to? You think we're going to like change the configuration of planes so that we're six feet apart going forward, or like what? What do you think it takes to kind of build confidence back in that industry? Uh, I, th- I think it will be a, a slow rebuild. It's hard to kind of determine 
you know, consumer behavior coming coming back out of this and, you know, how uh, corporations like, say, the airline industry, you know, will need to operate for a period of time. Um, uh, it's probably too early to guess, but um, but um, but uh, spaces in between seats uh, is is an option initially. Um, that's not something, you know, that's in place now, but the, the flights are so empty that it doesn't really matter. Um, and, you know, I think I think in the end, the airplane configurations will likely be consistent with what they were historically. But as we come out of this and, and consumers, you know, again, regain confidence in things like traveling, you know, that you could have instances like that. And, you know, our expectations for the online business, which is, you know, directly tied to to airline bookings and hotel stays is not down, you know, as low as like the occupancy levels that you hear some of the hoteliers talk about, which are 10, you know, roughly 10, 15%. But that's just because we have built-in expectations of, you know, recovery um, starting, you know, this summer, which may prove to be optimistic. So our, you know, the bottom of our estimates uh, get down to, you know, closer to 50% versus the 80% because month by month, we actually begin to, you know, assume that things recover. And that's, like I said, a few minutes ago, you know, in many cases, I think as we update things, you know, our expectations will slowly grind lower, you know, as we get more information. Yeah. Um, I haven't been, I've been so uh, focused on my own stuff. I haven't really looked at the ride sharing uh, group. Have they been hit as hard as the travel industry or are people still using ride sharing um, in a pandemic scenario? No, it's, it's about the same for, and it's, it's very much tied to that, but even, even with the lockdowns that are occurring, you know, where you don't have trips that are directly tied to travel, you know, those are down, um, meaningfully, like, like in some cases close to hundred percent, our estimate for two Q for ride sharing is down 50. Um, and, uh, and if, if the lockdowns hold through June, you know, then that will prove to be, um, an aggressive estimate numbers will be lower than that. So you have to look at these companies, you know, to the extent that your, your listeners focus on, on things like this, you have to look at these companies and look at balance sheet, you know, um, and, and, and things of that nature, because some of these companies are going through a period right now where if they don't have solid balance sheets, you know, they could run into some considerable troubles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, a lot of people didn't have, you know, pandemic in their crisis planning. Right. Um, so you, you talked about within e-commerce, obviously grocery is, is kind of over indexing and whatnot. And, um, what, but then you said some categories are down as much as 50%. What are, what are some of the categories that aren't doing well in e-commerce? Uh, let's see. Fashion down 51%. Um, according to one of the data sources that we look at luxury retail, uh, down over a third. Um, E-commerce, you know, in in aggregate outside of staples and grocery, um, down almost 50%. So anything that is really consumer discretionary, um, with a few exceptions, are down because you have, you know, offsetting that, you have some of the stay-at-home benefit, like things like fitness equipment and, and you know, other categories that are holding up better because uh, PCs are doing quite well. Um because people are rebuilding offices at home. And, um, you know, but the biggest driver right now of, of this growth, um, this kind of 20-ish percent growth is just the mix shift to grocery. 
um, which is you know lower margin category, but from a volume standpoint, you can definitely see it in like Amazon's hiring plans. Yeah, uh, you know it's been funny. Like there's there's categories that that are up that are intuitively obvious. Like you you mentioned that you know everyone's buying the equipment for their work at home setups or their teach at home setups. I'm always fascinated by the sort of less obvious trends that start to emerge. So across a bunch of my clients, a product category that's wildly up that makes sense, but I would have never thought of is adult puzzles. Uh, you know, stuff, stuff like that is people just that have more sense time. after you bring it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Once you see it, you're like, Oh yeah, of course. But those are the, the kinds of things. And, and you know what we're starting to, see, what we didn't see in the first two weeks, but we're starting to see now is all the at home, beauty care, right? So, you know, so everyone realized they're not going to get to their salon to have their hair recolored or their nails done or their haircut. And so suddenly everyone's on YouTube learning how to uh, trim their own hair with clippers and everyone's buying uh, clippers and at-home hair kits and things like that. Yeah. What's most interesting, you know, uh, that I found in going through other, other down cycles, whether it was, you know, 2001, 0809 is that so, you know is monitoring these changes in consumer habits um, and and trying to assess those that don't revert back because from an investor standpoint um, you know I think the internet generally speaking tends to be a, a, a significant market share gainer uh, on the back end of of, uh, of down periods and um, and th- those consumer habits that change to something that is better than what they were doing before. Under normal conditions, consumers are very slow to change, but in periods like this, they have to out of necessity. And so that tends to drive, you know, significant kind of investment opportunities when you do get to the other side that benefit names like Amazon and, and Alphabet and, 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 and maybe even uh, a Facebook, uh, but also something like a Peloton, you know, that I cover where there was an underlying trend underway to fitness in the home that, you know, potentially is accelerated by this. And, um, and it really doesn't slow down on the back end of it. Yeah, it, it, it that, that is fascinating um, and difficult to figure out, right? Because there's some categories where you go, it's pretty obvious it's not going to revert. Um, so if you bought a Peloton, you're, you're probably not, joining the gym in three months um or at least you're you're less likely to because you you have that capex now that you've invested in at-home fitness uh but if you were having your groceries delivered um it's a completely open question whether you'll keep having your grocery delivered after the pandemic or whether you'll go back to to uh shopping in the grocery store and i and i bring up the grocery one in particular because there it feels like there's an even extra paradox there like obviously with everyone sheltering at home, we've got way more people trying at-home grocery delivery or curbside grocery delivery than ever before, which which the the digital grocers are thrilled with. But the experience that's being delivered is the worst possible version, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, every, every delivery is late. Every delivery is missing a bunch of items and has a bunch of, you know, weird inappropriate substitutions in it and all these things. And so they're like, you know, uh, amongst the folks I'm talking to, it's a super open question. Like they're getting way more trials of their service than they've ever had and could ever imagine. Um, but many of those customers aren't having a great experience and are using it out of necessity. So once, once the sort of pandemic abates, like it feels like a really unknown, uh, 
um, how much of those those behaviors stick or how many of those customers they lose because the experience was suboptimal. Do you have any? Yeah, I think. Like, how do you even I, think about that? Like, well, you know, every, everything is is a hypothesis right now, um, and uh, given given where we are, you know, my. With I totally agree with with everything that you said in terms of it's not necessarily a better experience. Um, you know, grocery's been slow to transition uh, for re- reasons beyond just consumer uh, the pace of consumer habit change because going to the grocery store you know, is actually still quite convenient. What what may come of this is I, I think in the case of grocery you will you will very likely get a reversion back to. Uh, going to the, the store to, to get groceries because it's still uh, quite efficient and cost effective, but that you may have consumers uh, more willing to um, supplement the experience with, you know, certain categories, whether it's, whether it's buying the dishwashing detergent, you know, things that, that hadn't come to mind that, that the consumers now realized that is readily available uh, to get delivered to the home that could have an impact on overall trips. Um, but you know, it's a, it, it's not one where I think you're going to have a full scale transition over to direct distribution of, of grocery. There'll be some benefit. It won't be near what you're seeing at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to go back to something else you had said earlier, like, obviously, you know, there are all these categories that are wildly down and, you know, they're, they're mostly implementing, austerity measures and trying to, you know, figure out how they can weather this. And, and, you know, we're all trying to figure out how, uh, whether it's a V-shaped recovery or a U-shaped recovery and what that looks like. Um, I wonder if there's a difference though, like some of the categories you're talking about, like airlines or hotels. Um, I know, I know there's an occasional debate, but like, I think in general, like it's, it's known that they're, they're nominally profitable models, or at least the unit economics are favorable and that they, you know, airlines and hotels have demonstrated that they can deliver their services profitably. And so when, when they're thinking about a recovery, they're trying to get back to where they were before. Um, but you know, there's a bunch of these businesses like rideshare and Uber where like nobody's demonstrated that the unit economics work. So when, when they like lose all their revenue, it just means they're burning through their, investor war, war chest faster than ever before like is it are, are those companies less likely to have a recovery than than companies that have a viable unit economic model or or you know do you feel like that uber is going to be in the same shape afterwards that they would have that they were in before uh it's a great question uh, on one hand uber and lyft are much less levered but they're not they weren't profitable businesses going in the way that the airlines and hotels were but they're certainly much less levered than the than the airline industry so if you were to and this is something that Uber said publicly if you were to run um bookings down uh 60 to 80% for the rest of the year Uber still ends the year with 4 billion dollars of cash and and access to a 2 billion dollar revolver Lyft in fact doesn't have any debt so you know they're they they you know that seems like a a a pretty close to a worst case scenario in, in terms of that we stay down here for the rest of the year so i'm comfortable thinking that neither of those companies has balance sheet risk but to your your question whereas in the airline industry certainly without the the um the federal government providing funds that whole industry potentially you know would would go away um uh before the end of uh 3Q, if not 2Q, um, because of, of the leverage in the model. And um, 
And so I, I think, you know, we still have to prove the unit economics of ride sharing on the other side. But to the extent that travel does recover, you know, I, I think that that uh, both companies sit in, in in relatively strong positions. The question for everyone involved in that industry, hoteliers, uh, airlines, you know, ride sharing is what do volumes look like under the new normal on the other side to Scott's earlier question of what, have, what airline configurations look like, how do people travel, what do conferences look like and how many are done virtually, et cetera. All those things that we don't yet know yet are going to have, you know, potential long-term ramifications on, on the trends across that industry. Um, I'm, you know, of the view that we will get back to normal at some point in terms of people traveling the way that they once did, but that could be much longer than um, other industries uh, in their pass back to normality. Yeah. Uh, so one other question, uh, uh, I know Scott's super eager to get to Amazon and I promise we will in a second, but uh, uh, one other question to benefit all the CEOs listening uh, to the show this week, uh, a pre pandemic, a, a common conversation I would have with a retail CEO is this challenge around making strategic investments because there's, there's lots of strategic investments that like the CEO knows that they, they need to implement for the long-term benefit of their company. Um, but many of them have adverse effects on short-term revenue and profitability. And, you know, frankly, like most CEOs feel very locked into performing against their comps. Um, and so while there's a ton of negative stuff about this pandemic, um, like I have a hypothesis that like one small silver lining is a, like a lot of businesses are going to be off the hook for comping this year. And that like there, there may, you know, maybe a one-time opportunity uh, for, for uh, companies to sort of reset expectations with their investors and make some more forward looking um, investments. Since like for most businesses, there's just, there's no hope that they're going to favorably comp against last year, given this, like, Am I thinking about that right, or is that is that just whimsical thinking on my part? I, I think it'll, it it depends on the um, it depends on the the impact in the current conditions at, at any individual business in terms of like the first thing to address are current conditions uh, to the extent that one can address current conditions and still have the flexibility to think about strategic uh, options that are you know deeper into the future and have a capital position at which they can deploy capital, then I, I think your um, your scenario you know makes sense because no one's really going to be looking at, at at numbers in the near term in terms of profitability um, outside of just flat out solvency. So I think you know every situation is quite unique to what that corporation is dealing with. Cool. Well, it wouldn't be a Jason Scott show if we didn't dig into Amazon a little bit. Um, what's your What's your macro thoughts uh, on the impact of the coronavirus on Amazon? Well, um, from an e-commerce standpoint, you know, I think that Amazon is uh, is is doing quite well. Um, you know, mix shift certainly to uh, CPG grocery. Um, you know, could have margin implications. Uh, I'm sure there's costs logistics-wise and hiring-wise to, to deal with this, you know, that, that, that could have impacts on profitability. They're seeing a mixed shift, you know, away from FBA right now because of the way that they've prioritized 
essentials, and that has a negative impact on 3P FBA. You know, so there's there's this this kind of the the, the minutia, if you will, that you know has a a net negative impact on the margin profile of the business. But I think the the power, the strength of this company within e-commerce is more evident today than it's ever been. And Amazon's a pure example of when we do come out of this, a company that will be in a stronger position because you know the government doesn't seem to be focused anyway on saving the retail industry. And um, so you had companies that were on potentially weak paths before this, which those paths have been accelerated. Um, you know, Macy's is, is an example that's been in the news in the past week. And um, that happened during the 08-09 crisis. And a lot of that share gets reallocated among the strong companies, the same thing will happen again. So e-commerce wise, you know, I think never been stronger, uh, really. And, and this is, you know, this shines a light on, I think, the power of Amazon's model. Uh, within their cloud business, you know, you've seen some data points out of Microsoft that also, you know, show that the way that the economy has transitioned, you know, in, in some ways at least is, is uh, beneficial to the cloud business. So Amazon's like, it, in, as it relates to investment ideas, probably the most rock solid company. In fact, it's the, uh, I'll have to check this, but I think it may be the only company that I cover that was up uh, year to date through 1Q. The stock was actually up in 1Q. Interesting. Um, so the cloud, I could almost argue that they could have some challenges, right? Because it's a lot of startups using the cloud and we're going to probably have less, you know, the, the failure of startups is going to spike for sure and, and less new starts. But um, at the same time, you could argue these larger companies are going to, you know, their workloads are all going to continue to move to the cloud, I guess. Um, the, do you think Amazon's delivery capability, I was thinking through this, someone's, uh, so that, that there was, they did that one day walkout and then they fired that guy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they said he wouldn't keep social distancing. And I've, I've been to an Amazon warehouse before and, you know, people are like shoulder to shoulder at some of these pick lines. I wonder if it's reduced their cap- their capacity, just having to do implement social distancing and, and procedures like that at the warehouses. Is, have you seen any data on that? I've not, but I, but I think that is, uh, that is, is likely. Yeah. That, that may, may have an impact on overall efficiency. Um, yeah. Yeah. Your margin I mean, you, point. yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. It'll have an impact on margin. And of course you're seeing, you're seeing, I'm sure in your personal life changes in delivery times and, and things of that nature, but that's more related to this favoring of, of essentials than, than anything else. But as it relates to efficiency, uh, I'd be surprised if it's not down. Um, yeah. And it's interesting when I talk to merchants, um, you know, to your FBA point, they're, they're actually, the, you know, a lot of people have a hybrid model where they'll have some stuff in FBA and some stuff out there for the first time ever. The stuff that's not in FBA is getting much higher pull through than the stuff's in FBA because it seems like Amazon is putting these really long delivery times on the, the non-essential FBA stuff. Um, so then, uh, you know, I think we're also seeing that spill over into the other e-commerce providers that people normally you know, wouldn't start at like a Walmart, a target. Um, I know they're not in your coverage universe. Do you think, do you think they take a little share from Amazon here or the share is really the way to think about it is the commerce guys take a ton from the offline guys that are closed. And, uh, and that's how to think about it. And, um, and you're speaking to like, uh, Walmart's, uh, marketplace business or just Walmart in general, just, just, I guess more of their e-commerce business. You know, I'm seeing uh, more more people online anecdotally saying, you know, gosh, uh, I'm ordering from Walmart and target now because the delivery times on Amazon have gotten so long. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, certainly. I think that 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 Walmart, Costco come to mind. Um, kind of less familiar with the activity at Target right now, but but I, w- I would assume they're getting a, a a bump in their their business as well. So, um, all four of those companies. I don't cover three of them, but but I, I, it's safe to assume they're all seeing a lift in their business as it relates to like share shift within e-commerce. You know, um, uh, potentially. There could be some of that because of the way that Amazon's de-emphasizing FBA, but um, but I think they're probably doing well, holding their own, um, and you know, and, and doing quite well in terms of delivery guarantees on the essential side, which is where all the growth is right now. Um, I've just anecdotally, you know, we I think we've probably had 15 Costco boxes in the last you know two weeks show up, and you know, it started out on time, and then before you you knew it, you know the the delivery times were backed up a good five days. We had a Wegman's order, you know that it took five days to wait to go pick it up at the Wegman's. By the time that fifth day came up, they canceled the order. So I think you know many companies are are having issues, you know, and I, I think Amazon's probably relatively well positioned versus even those bigger um, traditional general merchandisers as well. But you know we'll see. I mean, earnings season it's going to be the craziest earnings season. Since you know, I've been doing this in 20 years, and probably I think some that have been doing this even longer than that. I'm not sure how far you'd have to go back to to have something that's comparable, you know, to this. But we'll have a lot more information within the next two to four weeks as companies speak for the first time about current conditions. Yeah, and I feel like Amazon's investment in their own delivery network is. Um... You know, they obviously didn't know this was coming, but uh, it was very, very smart because now they don't have to fight over that one FedEx truck that's making it to my neighborhood every week. They they have, you know, six prime vans zipping around and, and doing that. So so I think that's been a huge advantage for them to to own the full verticalization of that that supply chain. Yeah, yeah, I t- totally agree. And having so many different you know uh, distribution centers as well. I mean, they haven't been impacted in the way that some of them, my smaller coverage has like, a, uh, like the real real, as an example, you know, they have two fulfillment centers in the U S they've both been shut down for different reasons, you know? So, so the fact that Amazon is so distributed in the way that they are, um, there haven't been any noticeable you know issues that have made it into the media, but even to the extent that they do run into issues at certain places, they can reroute, you know, and still deliver to the consumer. Are, are you in the uh, camp that uh, Amazon ultimately competes with FedEx and UPS with their fulfillment, or do you think they keep it as an internal capability primarily? I've I've always had the view that that their competition with FedEx and, and UPS is more about pulling product off of that grid and into their ecosystem. So effectively, FBA and in combination with an increasing percentage of the fleet being Amazon trucks is the way that they ultimately compete with UPS and FedEx versus the more, I think, creative out of the box thought that they, that they ultimately provide similar services to those. I think they're already having an impact in terms of just simply the way that, that the, that, that the size of Amazon's network is growing, that it's pulling product outside of UPS and FedEx. And that's kind of been my, my base case for the direction that they're heading, that's all that they've shown to the outside world, you know, to date. And if, if that changes or you get more visibility to something more distinct, then, you know, I'll change my view there. But I'm not 
I'm not of the view that they're building UPS and FedEx uh, internally. Are you um, falling and worried at all about uh, what happens to USPS and all this? Because it, like, mm-hmm. as, as you probably know, the post office is Amazon's second uh, biggest delivery partner after themselves. And for most of the rest of e-commerce, it's the biggest delivery partner. And they're in serious financial distress. They, they you know, weren't included in the uh, <coughs> stimulus package. So it's, it, it seems like their future is uncertain. That's a problem. <laughs> I, I did see that, that they weren't included in the package, and um, and you know there there have been other rumors around as well um, in in, ter- in terms of their operations during this crisis. So I mean that's just going to be something to monitor. Uh, it's an important partner of Amazon, so you know it's definitely going to be something that could be a problem to the extent that their activities you know slow during this period or. Or even you know beyond this period um, that the postal service struggles uh, to operate. I, I've, again, in this area, you know, my view has been that the government will ultimately keep the postal service running um, because it's it's necessary. You've seen you know some political um, uh, kind of calisthenics around this topic, and that Amazon's not paying enough, but. Um, but uh, without Amazon, I mean, the, the Postal Service would be in an even worse position. So it's kind of an interesting debate and one that will continue on. But but I don't I don't think the Postal Service, you know, will just will just go away. It will, it will get funding um, even if it, if it comes at the last minute. Yep. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Uh, it's hard to imagine a world without it. Um, what one thing, you know, you talked about e-commerce and the mix being, uh, uh, you know, shifting much more to essentials. And so there's there's sort of winners and losers in that. Um, one thing that I imagine is a bit of a bummer for even the winners is it feels like this new mix is fundamentally less profitable, right? So you, you know, I know you don't follow target, but like targets an example where their, their ordinary mix was skewed heavily towards non grocery grocery was a much smaller piece of their total mix than Walmart or Costco. Um, mm-hmm. And so now that, you know, their mix is skewing heavily towards grocery that, Grocery is systemically less profitable. And then the way that all these guys are having to deliver grocery right now, all the extra hoops and supply chain challenges, it feels like it's less profitable than ever. I agree. Uh, the only one that doesn't have quite the same impact. So that would that would have an impact on Amazon, uh, Walmart, and, and Target. Um, less so Costco because of their markup model. Um, Costco, you know, garners a higher margin on their Kirkland brand. Um, you know, which is uh, probably not doing well at the moment, relatively speaking, in, in terms of uh, product mix. So that th- they have a little bit of a weight there, but the markups across their business outside of Kirkland are quite consistent. So they'd be the only one I'd say that that wouldn't see a meaningful margin impact outside of Kirkland mix. Uh, and the other three certainly, you know, will have a lower margin impact benefit of, of mix, but, but the downside is, is percentage margin. Yeah. And that you, the, those retail exclusive brands is another interesting one. I'm following pretty closely because um, there, there was already a strong trend. Consumer preference was shifting to these exclusive brands and that they are better for the retailer and there's a lot of good economics attached to them. But uh, my hypothesis is another secondary impact of this pandemic is consumers are much more open to substitution and they're trying many more new brands than ever before. So 
if you were super loyal to Charmin toilet paper, right now you're just thrilled to get any toilet paper, right? So if the toilet paper you get is Presto brand from Amazon, um, how many consumers will decide that Presto is good enough and not go back to Charmin? Uh, time will tell. And you know, to throw another wrench into things, uh, when you get when we do get to the other side of this, you know, if if one thought that China's supply chain was uh, you know a risk to, to retailers uh, prior to this, uh, I'd have to think that it, um, these things are only going to get more difficult um, on the other side without going in, into into depth in that area I, you know I, I do think that the possibilities of nationalism protectionism and, and things like that uh, certainly could emerge out of this and have impacts on the retail industry yeah um, so like thinking specifically about some of these econ players that you follow like you you mentioned uh, stitch fix uh, uh, real real um, you know what what is going to happen with those? Like, I think of Stitch Fix in particular as like they they've largely been the the direct to consumer internet darling, but then you know their last earnings were slightly soft, and now they're in this category apparel that's that you know has a a ton of uh, of potential headwinds as a result of the pandemic. Yeah. So let me quickly hit on. There's four that stand out that are you know kind of that that small mid-cap e-commerce company, Stitch Fix is on that list. And, you know, the, the Stitch Fix customer, um, one of the more meaningful use cases for the product is um, is dressing for work. <laughs> so many people, are, you know, are, are doing at the moment other than those that have cameras in their house and are on uh, news channels. And so I, I think that, you know, Stitch Fix's business, while it's one that, you know, certainly has the potential and, and and I think was was executing on becoming a, a leader in in soft lines um, in this new world of, of distribution. You know, they they indicated you know some potential weakness in the coming quarter, and I would imagine that that um, is 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 likely happening, if if not even worse. Um, uh, the real real I mentioned, you know, which is used luxury items. Uh, they. Uh, I, Long term, I think their business model is sound. Short term, they are not shipping product out of their facilities now because of um, not being an essential business in uh, California and New Jersey, where um, where those states are on lockdown. So, you know, they, they're operating, but they're not they're not currently shipping out of the facilities. Wafer is in the furniture and home goods business. Wafer is not a profitable business, and it's one that had tapped. Um, been tapping the debt markets. And so, you know, that lack of profitability is something that concerns investors, especially when one has leverage, um, you know, comfortable thinking that, that they will be, that their, their brand will resonate, you know, similar on the way out of this as it did on the way in. But I think that's a, a company that in terms of the stock itself, it trades more like uh, a, a levered business like an airline, you know, than it does an e-commerce company at the moment because it's the one that has the most debt of these names. And then the final one would be Etsy, which is just a discretionary item um, marketplace business, which they're operating at a very high level. But I would assume demand for their products is down considerably right now. So, you know, their numbers will, will likely be weak as well. And I put them on, you know, one side of the grid is staples and grocery and 
and the other side is everything else. You know, Etsy, each one of these companies falls in the other everything else, which is down 20 to 50. Yeah, Etsy, I could almost talk myself into a contrarian view because, you know, Jason talked about adult gaming and, and or mm-hmm. playing puzzles and stuff. You can almost think if people are stuck at home, it may be a good time to pick up a craft and, and maybe they benefit from that to some degree. But I guess the macroeconomic would probably swamp that. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I could talk myself into anything right now. And I think that's <laughs> that, uh, the, the, it's certainly, certainly possible. And I, I think, you know, they, will probably weather it better than, than, um, you know, than eBay across their broad set of categories for that reason, you know, but, um, I, I just don't know, you know, there's not a data source that I can point to that, that fully confirms that. But I think that anecdotally, you know, I've heard similar things in that category. Let's talk a little bit about eBay. Um, I actually, before we go to eBay, Scott, one other thing I was just curious on Etsy, like the, so it, it does seem like in the short term, they might get more sellers, right? As, people get laid off and um, like turn to Etsy. But um, I like another long-term potential benefit for Etsy is I'm growing increasingly concerned about what holiday is going to look like for everyone um, because of supply chain disruptions. Right. So ordinarily the big retailers would be planning and executing their holiday supply chain right now, um, which, you know, is much more difficult and like basically a hundred percent of the toys that everyone buys for holiday come from a Chinese supply chain that's pretty heavily disrupted. Like there's a, there's a contrarian view in my mind that uh, people might be getting a lot more Etsy gifts for holiday than ever before, because the traditional options might be diminished. That's, that's possible. Offsetting that they have, you know, a good bit of business that's event driven um, weddings and things like that. And so, you know, it's, it's hard to tell, but I think, you know, like I, Etsy to me is a very sound business. It's well-managed. It's not levered, you know, and as a securities analyst, you're thinking of stocks, like that's the type of business that I would want to be building a position in knowing that at some point we're going to get to the other side, but I probably wouldn't be building a full position with the amount of uncertainty with where we are in the process right now, if that makes sense. Totally. Sense. Um, so on eBay, I haven't been following them very closely in the last two years. I know, um, I know the CEO left in kind of a, a abrupt manner. Um, what's going on with eBay these days? Well, I mean, they, they closed a the StubHub deal. Uh, that was, a, in hindsight, a Herculean effort. Um, the business effectively shut down um, shortly thereafter in terms of business operations. Uh, and so the fact that they were able to get that deal done uh, was quite a feat. Uh, it would, wouldn't feel good to be on the other side of that transaction, you know, at the moment. But um, but as it relates to the, that's just, you know, financials and gives them access to capital to continue to buy back stock over time as they've been doing. Um, you know, the underlying kind of fundamentals of the business, I I, I think, can before uh, COVID-19, through and on the other side, you know, continue to be weak. I mean, I think it, at best, eBay GMV is a is a GDP plus a couple points, you know, business, and um, and at worst, it's 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 GDP or a point less, and you know, that isn't uh, is not something that I think is hugely problematic for 
the stock because it's it's kind of priced for that. But as the way that that you know we all tend to think of the world in terms of growth assets, it's just it's not a growth asset anymore. And I, I think that's the way that you think of it in terms of the way it's impacting them right now, uh, given the categories that they're in and the fact that they're not in the areas that have all the the growth is that their numbers will be weaker than that that trend you know near term and more consistent with um uh with with overall e-commerce trends and then when we get back to to run rate you know this business will be growing two three four you know best case five percent again yeah um and that that's ebay yeah do you think they get acquired or they just kind of muddle along at kind of two three percent for the foreseeable future well um the list of, of buyers isn't particularly long, um, but uh, uh, you know, so so uh, Alibaba doing something, and uh, uh, even before this, with the current administration, was near impossible to the extent that they ever even had interest. You know, the one that's most stood out to me in terms of. I'm not saying it would be a fit necessarily, but in terms of the perception that it would be a fit would be Walmart. Um, you know, but, uh, but, you know, outside of that, like I said, I mean, the, the list isn't particularly long and, you know, I don't have a strong view in that area in terms of when, whether they get consolidated or just kind of slowly, but surely privatize the company through generating cash and buying back stock. Yeah. Um, one other thing you, you mentioned at the top of the show that you know, you're you're going to you're anticipating a fair amount of softness on the advertising side. Um, in my day to day at Spiffy, we we do a, a relatively for us a large amount, but it's very small compared to other folks. But the the efficacy has gotten way better on digital advertising. Jason may have a point of view on this too, because it just seems like there's a lot less competition out there for terms, yeah. which you know it's a it's an auction, so it drives the bidding. Um, yeah, you know, so so we're actually seeing very positive things on Google and Facebook, for example. Um, what say a little bit more about what you're what you're thinking about Google and Facebook and and how they're going to fare through the next three to six months? Yeah, well, that's great. I mean, I I think that um, one thing to consider with the advertising, you know, marketplaces is travel is is you know roughly fifteen percent of the industry, and so if that's down fifty to eighty, um, you know, you got as much as 10 percentage points of drag just alone from travel. Um, and then you have, you know, the, the mix shift in, t- in terms of towards grocery and staples that really, I think right now, the, the, those that are distributing those products have less of a need to actively market. And then you have everything else, which I think is, you know, where, where you're talking about. Whereas if, if you have product that's selling, the efficiency of, of advertising right now is probably higher than it's been since going back to 0809 when there was a much smaller, you know, businesses if you had a product that was selling. But everything else, you know, that's down, their ad budgets are down commensurate uh, with their revenue. So the fashion industry, fashion e-commerce, you know, down 50, they're not spending on on advertising. And so there's a whole like mix of uh, underneath the the um the aggregate advertising industry numbers and that's why in in aggregate you get these numbers that are down 10 you know worst case down as much as 20 but if you have a product that sells you know right now i would imagine that your rates are as effective as they've they've been in years yeah um it's it's interesting. It's it's it, I I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's it's complicated because there are like windows of opportunity there, but there's some you know pretty big scary macro trends as well. 
um, as someone that whose salary is largely paid from advertising, I'm I'm trying to follow it closely, but I have no idea how it's going to play out. <laughs> I I want to um, sort of pivot to thinking about the big picture long term just a little bit as we kind of get close to wrapping up here. Uh, the first thing that strikes me in a bunch of these segments, even if the segments down or the categories down, it seems like we're there's a lot of acceleration of winners and losers. So like you know you mentioned a, a, apparel's heavily down. There's a ton of challenges in apparel. Um, Nike's probably better positioned than a lot of their competitors to weather that downness and emerge with greater share versus their competition, for example, right? And Walmart and Costco might, you know, are likely to emerge from the retail category stronger than some of their traditional competitors. Um, Like big picture, does that, does that just mean consolidation into fewer stronger brands and retailers and is, is like, you know, does that create investment opportunities or is that like fundamentally bad at like, do you, do you see it playing out like that? I, I absolutely do. I mean, I, I think that um, to try and put it succinctly, Darwinism, you know, uh, is accelerated during times like now. And, and, and so um, you more so than ever want to own leaders and leaders will win on the other side. I mean, this is a horrible period in human history, but but humans are resilient and you know it's it's highly likely we're going to get to the other side of this hopefully sooner rather than later and um you know this is why companies the best companies um do the best through all environments and, and you mentioned Nike you know there's a good list of very high quality brands retailers and otherwise that when we do start coming up will be significant share gainers unfortunately you know, those that you know, either either in you know very weak categories in terms of like department stores where th- the world is just moving away from that generally you could still be a great operator but it's the power of the of the industry that, that's dragging you know the business down or you you could just not have a great business those won't recover and um you know and I think you saw it in 0809 you're gonna see it again here um if you're building a portfolio of securities you know, and and you're and 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 you think about the safety of of your positions versus being levered to a recovery. I think a lot of those blue chip names are the names that you want to be building positions in right now. Uh, Amazon, you know, on that that list, and and certainly at the top of it, but Google, you know, as well. Uh, you mentioned, you know, others that that I don't cover, but there's a long list of other names as well. I, w- I bet Nike would wish that they were maybe selling through Amazon at the moment, but that's a different different topic. Maybe maybe there'll be some resolution there, although I doubt it. Um, that would be interesting because that would help it, um, for the time being. So you know what's funny about that? So uh, uh, I, I do want to double click on that one because it it's come up a ton. I have a feeling there's a lot of people that weren't selling on Amazon that wish they were, and, and you you just hit Nike. All the, um, but the it is also interesting. There were a lot of people that were single sourced on Amazon. So they, they looked at Amazon as their primary path to market. Um, and a bunch of those sellers are, are really taking it in the shorts right now, particularly if they're non-essential categories. So if you were a business that was built exclusively on Amazon FBA, you, you are, and you think you're going to have a future at all, you are right now planning a future where you're no longer single sourced on Amazon, right? So you're either talking to Walmart about being on their marketplace, or at the very least, you're you're thinking about applying for, you know, vendor fulfilled 
um, Prime or, you know, uh, augmenting Amazon with some 3PL services? Like, is there, like, clearly the macro trends are going to favor Amazon, but I wonder if they lose a little bit of marketplace share uh, as, as, uh, as their partners try to diversify themselves a little bit. It, it could happen. I mean, they're, they're, the service is so strong when tied in with Prime under 99.99% of operating conditions, you know, excluding this moment in time, that I, I think that um, you may have, you know, vendors that, 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 that build emergency capabilities in or um, being able to source themselves or even layering in additional marketplaces. But for the most part, FBA will, you know, will, will likely go back to right where it was when this ends. I mean, that's just that's just my view because of the power of the product. But um, but in the meantime, I think what you're saying is, you know, is 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 absolutely accurate in terms of that they're going to be contingency plans put in place. It's just a matter of how active those will be once we get through this. Yeah, and how if, and if and how they're if they're economically meaningful at all. That fair point. Yeah. Like. Uh, because Prime certainly is very strong. Hey, so uh, let's let's wrap up on a slightly more positive question. Like appropriately, like there's a lot of doom and gloom right now. Totally get it. Um, but when I've been looking through history at some of the 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 near analogies to this situation, like hey, the first thing is there is no perfect analogy to this situation. But um, when you look at something like SARS and ha- and its impact in China. One of the interesting things to me is you mentioned you follow Alibaba and JD. Um, it's arguable that JD.com uh, was founded because of SARS. And for sure, Alibaba was dramatically accelerated as a result of SARS. And today, you know, those are two of the biggest e-commerce players of all time. Like is our, when we look back on COVID-19 and we're telling our grandkids about this, this time when we had to homeschool them, are they... Um, are, are we going to be talking about some new companies we're not even thinking about today that have become giant players because of, of uh, this, this sort of disruption? Very possible. Certainly, we're going to be talking about the, the strength of existing companies you know, that, are, that are beneficiaries of this, no doubt. And, and then I do believe that it's very possible that you have a, a whole new grouping of, of companies that emerge from this as well. And you know, if you look at uh, – we have – been through as a global society um, various crises over many many uh, decades. If you just simply pull up an S and P 500 chart, you know that goes back to the year 1900. I mean, uh, I think you can comfortably, without getting into the weeds of the current crisis, assume that this too shall pass. Um, you know, the, the the questions that remain are, are are more around depth and duration. You know, at some point. There will be treatment for this at some point. There will be a vaccine for this. You know, it's just a matter of how long do we have to bridge to get to the other side. And I'm as optimistic as I've ever been in terms of that good companies will prosper. You know, on the back end of this, uh, we have a period of a month to you know a number of months to see where we bottom before we get there. And I think we're at the you know still towards the front end of that, as has been indicated by you know, by the government and, and the various stay-at-home initiatives that are in place in the U.S. Yeah, uh, that, that, that is very well said. And that's a great place to leave it, Scott, because it's happened again. We've used up our allotted time, uh, but uh, really appreciate the conversation and your insight. Thank, uh, I know it's crazy right now. So thank you very much for 
uh, taking the time to sit down and talk with us. Thanks so much, Jason and Scott. Really appreciate it. Yeah, if uh, folks want to follow you online, is there a centralized place where where you publish or anything like that? Uh, we don't publish actively online, but you can follow me on, on LinkedIn. You can also email me at devit s d e v i t t s at stiefel.com, S-T-I-F-E-L, and we can add you to our distribution list. Yeah, I uh, strongly recommend that. So uh, I read uh, pretty much everything Scott puts out. It's a really good read, and uh, you can tell he gets kind of punny with some of the subjects. It's always fun to try to decode what, what his puns are on those. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Awesome. Uh, and if uh, folks enjoyed the show, uh, we'd love a five-star review. If you're sitting at home with nothing to do, uh, great time to write the review. If you're trying to homeschool a toddler, uh, uh, don't stress it. Don't bother writing a review. Just survive the next few weeks. Um, and so uh, with that, uh, thanks again, Scott and Scott. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 